Hi, and welcome to East Coast Office Hours, Fan Bites podcast. That's just me, Merrick Kay, and Danielle Riando. It's us. It's our it's East Coast us. time. This, it's <laughs> time for this one again. Yeah. I'm excited. And, uh, yeah. Um, we're all very excited. We made it to another Friday. Yeah. And um, we're all uh, very excited about... Uh, Blazeball and Battletoads and other things that start with B. Yeah. Um, uh, back, those are back to rating, I guess. Back, back to rating. Mm-hmm. Um, Blast Wish. We're doing Blast Wish this week. Blast uh, Wish. Blast Core. Blast Core. Oh, did, did you play Blast Core? Yeah, although not as much as basically every other rare game. I definitely played it a bit. And was like, that's cool. And that I'm pretty game. sure if I right. ever actually dug in, I would probably never put it down. Yeah, that was a that was a rare game. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's like that and Jet Force Gemini were the ones that were like slightly different because Rare had those two strains of like genuinely excellent character platformers, except for Donkey Kong 64. That's a whole other story. And then like the good, interesting first-person shooters on the N64. And other than that, it was just like a couple of couple of one-offs. And that was Blast Core and Jet Force, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, Jet Force Gemini was weird. I think I played it maybe like once. I feel like I rented it. Did you need... Okay, I feel like we've definitely talked about every rare game like multiple times on this podcast, <laughs> um, at least the N64 era. But yeah. did you need an expansion pack to make that one work, to make it go? Or did it just Jet make Force? it go better? Uh, I think the only ones you actually needed it for were Perfect Dark and Donkey Kong 64. And I think the other ones were just like enhancements. See, Perfect Dark, I don't think you needed it. It just was bad um it just if you didn't have an in it was just really sick yeah that 10 Um, fps frame rate uh in some levels basically um okay yeah so no i don't think you i don't think it used it um i don't think jet force gemini used it the four megabyte n64 expansion pack so that okay that was four, four megs of RAM. <laughs> and that was huge at the time, right? It was a big deal. Yeah. Um, it, like, didn't actually work with that many games. Um, and for a lot of games, it actually made performance worse. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, it did, didn't it? Um. <laughs> Yeah, just because it it like allowed for higher resolutions, but then the performance went way down. Yeah, because uh, those games, like because it was a cartridge format, I, I feel like there was a lot of weirdness there with like uh, very little loading usually for a lot of the games, or at least the the first party and second party games. But then like very little room for sound. So the, you know, the folks who composed music for it actually made a lot of decisions based on like, oh, percussive instruments take up less like sound per hit. So therefore, Banjo-Kazooie has all this glockenspiel and, and wild yeah. shit like that would happen, which is interesting, so, but also weird. 
I didn't remember this, but Majora's Mask needed the expansion pack. And I definitely owned Majora's Mask, but not the expansion pack. So I guess I just borrowed it from a friend or something. (gasps) Um, Were you able to play it? What? I think I just borrowed the expansion pack. Oh, right, right, right. Gotcha. um, For like the, you know, few weeks or whatever it took me to finish it. But um, God, yeah, my N64, one of the few consoles that I didn't sell or um, get rid of voluntarily, it was stolen. Uh, When I was in college, my N64 and all my stuff was stolen from the storage in our apartment. Uh, Very sad. I've I owned a second one, and then I think I also sold that. I sold, like, I, I do regret a little bit doing that. Yeah, like, um, yeah. when I needed some money a few years ago, I sold um, my SNES that I'd had since, oh. that was like my first game console I'd had since yeah. I was a child. I got rid of my Game Boy, my original Game Boy, oh. my Game Boy Advance, my... Um, uh, well, I'd already gotten rid of my Dreamcast famously oh. to buy an Xbox, which was oh. maybe not the best decision, but I, I sold my second Dreamcast. And um, sometimes I kind of regret that because I'm like, oh, memories. But then I'm like, yeah, but also it was just kind of sitting around. And it's not like, like basically all having old games does to me is like I look at them sometimes and I'm like, I should play that. Yeah. And then I feel bad when I don't. So yeah. like. Honestly, I don't know. I think I'm just like not much of a collector really because having stuff around kind of stresses me out more than anything. It doesn't make me feel, it doesn't give me that good feeling that I think a lot of people who collect things like that get. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I still have just about everything. I still have my NES from whatever 1989, wow. I guess. Um, I still have my SNES. I still have my N64. Yes, I was absolutely a Nintendo kid. And then, you know, I my first, I, we've talked about this, but my first non-Nintendo console was the Dreamcast when I was like 17. So mm-hmm. uh, I still have that. I still have all of them, but they're crucially at my parents' house. And there is like a coating of some kind of really bizarre substance on some of them that I genuinely oh think is soda. So this is not like, I'm not, oh no. we're not doing a gross thing right now, but like from family parties in the nineties where like every kid or every person under like 25 would come hang out and play Mortal Kombat or whatever it was like at the time. Uh, and just things, soda and, and like cake frosting got on some of the equipment so it's not in the best shape i wouldn't say i'm a collector either i would say i just would scream if somebody tried to take them away from me because of that that instinct of like (laughs) what if i want to play this uh yeah 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 it's you you raise a very good point where it'll just probably make me sad if i just think about like i could play this and then i i never do really uh (laughs) so hmm uh, perhaps you have the right way. The the Marie Kondo uh, approach to keeping your game consoles might be That was my thought. Better. And then also at the time, the few hundred dollars that I made seemed more important than the um, sure. than having them around. Um, also, my SNES was so fucking nasty. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, because it was made from that kind of plastic that just, I don't know if it like oxidizes or, or oh. something, but like... Yeah it changed from gray to like a yellowish and it's not like anything had been spilled on it. Right. It just got really sick over time. So like the top half was a completely different color from the bottom half. 
Oh God! That I think maybe because happened. of yeah, maybe yeah. because of sun or something. But I think also the plastic was just starting to like corrode and degrade. Like I don't know. I think we think of plastic as something that just like doesn't go away, but it does get brittle and like yeah, it does degrade. It just takes like a very long time. Yeah, I I am sure if I went to my parents' house right now dug these things out from under all the VHS tapes and DVDs that they currently reside under in my parents' like entertainment unit circa 1992, uh, it would probably look exactly the same. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's probably Wait, pretty gross. Yeah. I, I, okay, so I'm on the Nintendo 64 <laughs> accessories page. And, um, yes, yes. Uh, there is... Uh, I don't know if I have heard of this before, but there's something called the Wide Boy 64. Oh, oh boy. Uh, and it was, it was never sold to consumers. It was only provided to developers and press. And um, it was, I guess, basically for like capturing footage because it was a cartridge. It was basically a Super Game Boy for the Nintendo yeah, 64. I'm looking at this. But there was one that could play Game Boy Advance games. Just like the later GameCube attachment that I actually had. I actually played several right. Game Boy Advance games on the, whatever it was called. The it cost $1,400. Wow, That's so uh, much money. And only developers and journalists could buy it. But that's so weird to me to think that you could play Game Boy Advance games on an N64. Because yeah. I associate the Game Boy Advance with the GameCube. But I guess it did come out before that. Like the Game Boy Advance came out in, I think, the summer between yeah. the summer before the GameCube was released in the U.S. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, I actually remember that pretty well because I was a pretty early adopter of both of them and was playing mm. like whatever Mario Kart was on the launch. Like, I don't know if it was called Mario Kart Advance or what, but I was definitely playing a lot of that mm -hmm. before I had a GameCube. Oh, Yeah. I don't know. For me, I have to be honest. For me, the N64 maybe has my favorite library of games of all time, just in terms of like all time faves in concentration. And the GameCube was great. And there were some great, great, great GameCube games. But I think it paled in comparison to me. To the N64. That's fair. I think. Well, I think. I mean, first of all, the N64 was like a, arguably a bigger leap in the yeah. technology just because the first time I saw Mario 64, my little child brain just like <laughs> just shut down and had to yes. reboot. And I remember it really clearly because I was at a, not like a theme park, but we had this thing called Ontario place okay. uh, where I grew up. That was like kind of like a water park, but then they had like it might've been government funded. I don't remember. It was like, there's a water park with like water slides and stuff, but then there was like this weird little tower area that oh. had like all these indoor exhibits. And like sometimes like for a while they had all these Lego exhibits and then Ooh. they had like some touring. I, I think like the summer before the 64 came out, they had like this, there's this Nintendo touring thing that went around to like, you know, get people excited about it. And they had, the N64 there and you could play it Ooh. and uh, Dire Dire Docks is the first yes. N64 level yes. I ever played and I was just like Pow. 
Like the fucking, <laughs> the music of that, the like, the water, just like the ability to just run around in 3D. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so good. And um, yeah, it was like, oh my God. And then of course, when the GameCube came out, it was also like, holy shit. Wow. This looks so cool. But like at that point, we sort of were like, oh yeah, we, we know 3D games like are a thing. So like they yeah. look a lot better. Um, but there wasn't really that same leap in the same way. I feel like the biggest leap in that generation that I saw was like Halo. Sure. Um, sure. Which yeah. was like, wow, this is some, this is huge. This game is enormous and it feels so much bigger than anything. Um, I've seen up to this point and then I feel like subsequent Halos were like, yeah, okay, it's Halo. Yeah. Same with the new one. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, it's Halo, but uh, Halo has a grappling hook this time. That's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Halo has a codpiece grappling hook and that's very good. <laughs> and Mr. Halo will enjoy using that and that's fine and everybody's going to enjoy. Yeah, but I, I totally agree. I I remember the first time I played Mario 64 as well. And I think I just saw it in like a, a toy store. Like they had one of the little kiosk things. I too played Dire Dire Docks. And also I think they just had the little area outside the castle where you can just fuck around and it just has like yes. bird song in the background. And I just yeah, remember being it's like, like the place where you Whoa. can just like learn the controls and everything and just run around. It's like so good. Yeah. Truly incredible. I remember my mom thinking it was incredibly cool and just being like, you can run around in all the directions and like just was so excited about that. Even though she never really played games. She watched us play sometimes and we got an N64 is actually for the birthdays because my sister and I have birthdays four days apart. Uh, uh -huh. We're two years apart, but our birthday, the actual days are, you know, the 9th and the 13th. So um, sometimes we would have like joint birthday parties and get like a cool gift. And I think it was back ordered or something. So I actually only ended up getting it in March of 1997, like a couple weeks after my birthday. And there was like a whole family event like that night. My mom called my dad in while we were playing Mario Kart 64, our first game for it, just being like, Richard, look at this. Look at the graphics. It's so cool. <laughs> like, she just got so excited about it and was so into it and, like, the way the characters looked and how they animated. It was just very, very cute. I feel like I'll never forget that because that was one of the first times where it was, like, I was still a kid. I was 13, but I was starting to have, like, a sense of how things differentiated and a sense of how, like okay, how this game looks versus how some other game might look instead of just, like, I saw an ad for something and I want it. Like, yeah. it's, like, developing taste, I guess, at that year in my life. So, very formative. <laughs> God. Oh, oh, Lil Jordo has a, an incredible uh, article for us here. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Jordan, uh, our producer, Jordan, uh, who actually has an article. Why do SNES consoles turn yellow as they age from Nintendo today? Uh, I'm going to guess it has something to do with science and molecules. Uh, but, yeah. Oh, bromine. Bromine. And when bromine is exposed to ultraviolet radiation, which is found in natural and artificial sources of light. Although, apparently, there is something you can do. Uh, to make it better, you can use OxyClean, uh, which uses hydrogen peroxide as an active ingredient. So you can make it less yellow uh, if you uh, keep it clean, I suppose. Huh. Uh, so that's cool. Thank you, Jordan. That's very good. That's a Nintendo Today article here. Uh, thank you very much. Much appreciated. I really do have, I don't know. 
I also have, like, do you have, like, seasonal game memories? This is a, a thing that Ooh, I have so yeah, strongly. Yeah, just, like, certain things I played during the summer. I would just remember, like, summer nights. Okay, so my best friend and I, when we were young, either, like, you know, kind of growing up or, or pre-teens and then into, like, our early teens, would play SNES games like it was religion. Uh, we would, like, go to the pool all day, and then we had, like, a pool club. It was, like, a YMCA um, that okay. was at a uh-huh. field, basically a few miles from where we lived. Like it was like there were woods and there was a field and there was a big pool and you could like, you know, if you weren't like rich or whatever, you could like buy access to it. It was like a YMCA membership. So we would like go to the pool all day, play in the pool, splash in the pool. And then in the evening, we would come home and we would play like hours and hours and hours of Donkey Kong Country. And just like everything about those games is burned into my brain, but also with this very happy association of like, being young and we had fun and it was summer and it's warm and nice and uh, we're having so much fun. It's like a very strong connection that I have to summer and those games. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any like seasonal like 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 he just associates certain seasons with like touches of this game or that type of game? Um. Let me see. Definitely going back to Majora's Mask. I really vividly remember playing that game when it was released um, in... Well, wait, maybe this is not right because... It came out Okay, no, 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 yeah. It came out in... I was like, wait, it came out in April? No, that was Japan. It came out in October in in North America. And I definitely remember playing it around Halloween. Oh, perfect. And which is like the the best time to play that game because it's all about masks. Um, yeah, and it's all very spooky. Uh, so yeah, definitely very strong memories of that. Um, or like um, Ocarina of Time, I remember playing in like the summer with like my window open. Oh, nice! And just like a breeze blowing in. Um, and then, yeah, I'm trying to think if I have any, like, winter game memories. Mm, yeah. Winter games. It's funny. I have a lot of summer game memories because I was a child who did not uh, enjoy going outside very much. Ah, uh, sure, um, sure. But, yeah. Um, I have yeah. a lot of winter game oh, memories I do have, my I do have, oh, I do ahead, have yeah. one winter game memory that's, like, a little, um, a little later on. But there was this one winter where, or this one Christmas, actually. So when I was a kid, uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, my sister and I would always go over to our Babshia's house, our grandma. um, And we would spend that with my dad's side of the family. And then on Christmas Day, we would go with my mom to see her side of the family in uh, a town that was like about an hour away. Sure. But on this particular Christmas, it was snowing so much and it was just impossible to get out there. And so we decided to just stay. And um, my big Christmas gift that year was um, Metroid Prime and yeah. Metroid Fusion. Um, and, um, so yeah, we just like hung out at home and 
like had like cinnamon buns and stuff and I just hung out with my best friend Samus Aran and um, (laughs) went on two different space adventures and it was like very chill and there was so much snow outside and it was just like very cozy. I love that. I love that like built in excuse to just chill and yeah. have fun. I truly mm-hmm. love that. Like Because like most. for me, like seeing, you know, I don't know, going to see my family was always like, uh, like when you're a kid, I feel like, because also I yeah. didn't have any cousins my age. They were both older than me. Sure. Um, and there's some benefit to having like a cool older cousin. Yeah. Um, like one of my cousins actually, you know, showed me a lot of like PC games and stuff and like, uh, showed me like Doom and Mist and Ooh, um, yeah. and uh, Lemmings and stuff like that. But also like, I, I don't know, like, you know, I didn't really, you know, hanging out with my family wasn't really the most exciting thing in the world. <laughs> totally. um, yeah. I would always want to like hang out with my friends on, on Christmas uh, later in the day or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, so it was, like, nice as, like, a day where it was, like, oh, we don't have to do the thing. I don't have to dress up. We don't have to go do, like, have this big dinner thing and, like, all the adults <laughs> will just get drunk and... Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's extremely fair. My mom, uh, who's a really smart mom, had to bribe me to wear my formal clothes um, mm. when I went to family stuff. She was really smart, though, because she was brought... Um, I was always allowed to change into you know, sort of a Danielle appropriate attire. So I could go Uh like play in the mud and be a little ridiculous tomboy and play basketball with all the boys who are much bigger than me. But I'd be like, I don't care. And then I would still play basketball because that's who I was. Real shocker, uh, I guess, uh, to how I I would later turn out. But yeah, I would I would be bribed with, okay, you get to you have to wear your cute thing until you eat. And then after dinner, after whatever the meal is, then you get to go play. Like, you can put on whatever else and go play. So, like, my mom always managed me really well. I have to, like, later on in life, now as, like, a manager, I'm like, wow, she did a good job with that decision. That was a good management decision for mom there. But, yeah, I – my cousins had Sega consoles, and I had Nintendo consoles. So we would – I would play, like, Earthworm Jim at – his house and I would play Sonic at his house and it would be so cool and Vector Man and like all the like you know Sega does what Nintendo types of games <laughs> it would be like <laughs> an exchange based on who was where like what we would play uh, which was kind of fun I guess that worked out for the best uh, in terms of that kind of shit but I also feel you on sometimes you know the family stuff wasn't the best I had one more um Really good, just bringing up Christmas, Christmas memory. I got Diddy Kong Racing the year that came out on Christmas. And the first world is like a dinosaur world. And the second world is like a Christmas world. It's like an ice world, but it's all Christmassy shit and very like Mm. Christmas presents are everywhere. And there's a little ice village and all sorts of kind of stuff. So I remember uh, very intensely playing through the Christmas stuff on Christmas and thinking like, wow, this is thematically appropriate. Uh, (laughs) Because, of course, I would think something like that. Yeah, those are pretty good ones. Those are pretty good ones. Uh, speaking, I suppose, of uh, moving moving along and, and going to later years, uh, was there anything you, you worked on this week that was especially exciting? God. Um, 
Hmm. Yeah, sorry. I'm distracted by this picture <laughs> I found of a Nintendo uh, 64 on top of a some kind of fucked up uh, other attachment thing. Oh, no. Called the Dr. V64. Oh, my God. Um, V64? This yeah. is. Oh, wow. It's. It just looks like. It's just sitting on its face they're, there. They're doing it. <laughs> They are yeah, doing, they are. They are making babies, and one of the babies looked at me. Um, ah! It was Wait. made by Bung Enterprises Limited. I thought this was a typo. Like I for real. Like I, I clicked on a YouTube video, and it's just like Bung Doctor V sixty four, and it's it's oh boy. an approximate pronunciation of the company's Chinese name. Both written forms were gotcha. used in product packaging and marketing literature, and the somewhat crude connotation of the English word appears to have been an unintended consequence. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it's a it hmm. Nintendo it's a really just hated them. Nintendo really yeah. hated them <laughs> because they kept trying to make things that would like copy games or like Oh yeah. Uh this is actually really interesting. I think, Jordo, we're going to have to look into this because uh, it's sort of a fascinating historical uh, thing. But um, yeah, this week, this week, hmm, this week, uh, let me take a look. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, we had a piece uh, about instant loading. Oh, the yeah, PS5 right. SSD feature. Speaking of, you know, games with, with loading and without loading. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is by a writer named Jefferson Toll. And basically the piece is saying like, um, so everyone is, is talking, everyone talks about like technological advancements in game consoles as primarily in terms of convenience. Like, oh, Mm. Uh, seamless loading, like you don't have to wait anymore and like uh, it'll be more immersive and stuff. But uh, his argument was basically like, actually the really exciting part about not having, about, you know, technologies removing the need for loading between scenes isn't the ability to have like an uninterrupted following a character around constantly but the ability to bring in more filmic techniques of cuts. Yeah. So imagine like a Mass Effect game where you're having a conversation with someone and they're like, oh, so what did you do next? And there are like three options, like, oh, I blasted my way out or like I snuck out or um, I, I talked my way out or something. And like, as you pick one of those, it just like immediately cuts to like yeah. you playing that scene. Um, and, you know, he makes the point that a lot of this stuff is possible now if you are just willing to take a hit on technical um, presentations. So a game like, um, what's it called? Uh, Brendan Chung's game, uh, 30 Flights of Loving, is a game that does this. Like That's a game that uses cuts, that uses smash cuts. Um, it If you haven't played it, and you're at all interested in, um, in you know, film and interactive uh, art, then you really, really should because it uses cuts in like a really fascinating way, in like a way that a film could, that games almost never do. 
And I think the argument in this piece is basically like it will become possible to do that kind of stuff at the level of like graphical fidelity that games companies insist on working in right now, which is exciting. Like that is very cool. And the whole, you know, the Ratchet and Clank footage is cool. The idea of like just seamlessly transitioning from, from one world to another but so is the idea of just being able to do jump cuts or like yes. smash cuts or match cuts or things like that without having, you know, loading um, scenes, breaking things up and uh, whether or not that actually happens. Like, I think the technology enables this, whether yeah. or not there is like the artistic will to do it <laughs> is a separate sure. question. But um, but yeah, it was it was cool. I think that piece is really interesting. It brings up a lot of great examples um, of film and games that, uh, you know, have these kinds of uh, ideas. Yes, that's such an awesome argument and such an awesome idea. There have only been a couple of games that have even super done this much. I know Paratopic does it super well. It's like a very tiny game. game. Paratopic. Paratopic. uh, yeah, it's really, really good, actually. It's a uh, very, like, tiny, like, PS1-looking horror game that uses jump cuts a lot uh, oh. to do some really wild stuff narratively. And that's, like, the first place my brain went when I, I looked at this piece and was like, oh, my God, imagine something like that, but with this much wider palette. Like, if, if somebody does actually take the time to kind of uh, think about that and think about cutting and editing as language in a game the same way or in a similar way that we do with film, like, holy shit, oh, that wow. so cool. Yeah. This looks really great. Yeah, this came out like awesome. two years ago. I guess I probably missed it. Um, really it seems good. to be drawing on some of the same ideas yeah. as 30 Flights of Loving. Um, oh, definitely. Am, yeah, this sort of jump cut original. Game jump yeah. cut original. <laughs> right. I am definitely yeah. going to check this out. Um, it's even, cool you know, even some bigger yeah. games have done some stuff like this. Like uh, the piece yeah. mentions GTA V, which for all its faults did try to do this. Sure. Um, like it does sometimes try and cut between characters. Um, like there's a part where it cuts between one of the characters on foot and then someone else like in a helicopter. But then mm, when it yeah. goes back, it can't make that it's transition without having to, to load a bit. Yeah. 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 That's fair. That's very fair. And, and a cool example for sure. Like, Hey, it's a game that big. Some things are gotta be cool about it. Right. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Oh man! All right, so I um, I really liked uh, what we watched for "You Love to Scream It" this week, and it really came out of nowhere for me because it is a Zoom horror movie that was like filmed entirely in Zoom. It's called Host. It's like an hour long. It's like fifty-six yeah. minute long film that I thought like. I'll be honest, I went into it thinking like, all right, <laughs> like okay, you know, this is gonna be like a cheesy like jump scare thing. I was really impressed. I ended up being really impressed by it uh, and like how well it's actually conceived and basically choreographed. And like the cinematography is actually fascinating for what they can do in Zoom. Uh, the characters were really interesting, too. So I genuinely like a really nice, pleasant surprise there. Like hell, like hats off to the filmmakers. They actually did um, kind of pull it off in a way. And also like the whole conceit with this is like, it's a quarantine film, like filmed in quarantine. They actually filmed it all in Zoom. Like it wasn't like, oh, it just looks like a Zoom call or something like that. They actually, I think, filmed everything in that style and kind of pulled everything off. So 
speaking about cutting and like creative editing, there's a lot of really creative editing uh, in that movie that's like really seamless and super well done. So I was very impressed. And like a thing I said in that podcast uh, was like whenever something inspires me to go back and do more screenwriting, like that's good. Like that's a really good instinct for it to instill in me. And I definitely was like, well, I have like three scenes I have to finish and something I've been <laughs> writing for like five years. So, yeah, it gave me that little push, uh, which I always super appreciate. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun. And also, uh, I suppose I also wanted to uh, throw a quick shout out uh, to uh, the podcast LB and I did on uh, uh, wrestling and MMA fan fight this week was was a, a joy. Uh, mainly mm-hmm. because I got to talk about how much I love triangle submissions. So <laughs> now yeah. that is a kind of hold where you mm-hmm. use your muscles mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. compress the uh, the veins on yes. either side of a person's neck, thus That's cutting correct. off blood flow to their brain and knocking them unconscious. Don't ask me how I know that. Yeah. Oh no, it's great. I mean, in a triangle choke, you're using your legs. You're using your thighs to cut off the carotid arteries in somebody's neck so oh wow it's even it's even more fun yeah oh what's the one that i'm thinking of then where you use your your arm muscles that could be a rear naked choke it could be a head and arm triangle it could be all kinds i think that's what it is yeah yeah i remember there being triangle in the name yeah head head and arm triangles are uh you're (laughs) you're basically using your arms and one of their arms one of their arms actually is pushed into the carotid on that side, which is yeah. just fun. Yeah. Now, yeah. So, how? <laughs> yeah. Because I've I've seen this done. Yeah. And um, obviously, I think it's like what less than ten seconds. Um. Oh, it's much less than that. It's like five seconds. You can put someone out. Um, Honestly, if it's not within like four or five seconds you don't have it right you're doing it wrong okay um how dangerous is that (laughs) so like is that a submission hold if someone just falls unconscious or is that yeah because isn't a submission hold like meant to be like pain-based or no it doesn't have to be i mean honestly the most effective submissions are either going to put them out or they tap right that's the idea they tap out they're like, no, right. this hurts too much, or I'm going to go yeah. out, so I'm going to tap first. So, because I've I know that, gotten, um, yeah, good, good. So, I don't know about the rules for like MMA and stuff, but I know that holds that <laughs> yeah. put pressure on the front of the neck. Um, well, first of all, they're extremely dangerous because you can collapse the trachea, yes. but also when yeah. you're cutting off air to the brain as opposed to air through blood you get um it's like extremely painful and you get um what's that called like oxygen panic or something um mm. and so people will tap out of those whereas um with submission holds it's less like ah and more just like boom. <laughs> yeah i mean okay so genuinely because I've, I've only gotten knocked out once from a a, a choke and okay. it, it actually didn't hurt at all. It was actually very peaceful. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You just yeah. kind of fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah, you're just kind of like, oh, that was nice. And then and I sort of realized. Like, huh? <laughs> I sort of realized, like, I was mostly out, and I ended up, I, I legit thought, like, I should tap. This is a thing I should tap for. And, like, it took me a second. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to tap now. But it was, like, 
very peaceful and dreamy. Uh, so it's not as scary uh, as, as it might be. But also, like, yeah, I've been training for three and a half years, and I, I know what scary positions feel like. So I, I might have a different tolerance for this than most people, understandably. Uh, but, yeah, anything that puts pressure anywhere near the trachea is absolutely a no-go because you could damage somebody and kill them pretty quickly uh, in a pretty bad way. Now, it's not to say that it's, like, healthy to get knocked out <laughs> by any means. Like, it's not it's not great for you by any means. But if somebody is uh, compressing the carotids uh, properly, it is going to happen really fast. And typically, a healthy person will wake up relatively quickly after that. Um, but... You don't want to fuck with it, I, I would say. i say you don't want to fuck with it for sure. And, like, if you're trained to do this stuff, you do know escapes. And how well you know how to escape and how well you know when you're fucked is going to be, like, something that's, like, absolutely burned into your brain. Like, I'm training this stuff almost every day for, like, an hour a day and have been for a few years. So, like, when somebody you, gets wait. me in a triangle, I know how to get out or uh-huh. I know when I'm fucked and I need to tap, basically. So, yeah. This stuff is always so wild. I always feel like such a weird, like, maniac when how excited I get about, like, choking. I'm always like, ah, Uh, you know what's uh, right? (laughs) It's a triangle choker. You use your inner thighs. (laughs) Look, all this stuff is interesting. I think anesthesia is really fascinating because I think any state where you're, like, closer to death is fascinating, just, like, epistemologically. Um, Yeah. I was actually reading a whole bunch of stuff about um, anesthesia, and uh, do you know William James? He was the yes. this like yeah, big American philosopher, pragmatic guy, uh, yeah. kind of a cool dude. He was really into anesthesia because he thought that it basically let him, like, he was really into the idea of like religious ex- experience and sure. thought that like religious beliefs, even if they weren't quote unquote true were like really useful to a lot of people but he didn't really have like he he didn't he couldn't feel them himself but he read some stuff by this guy named blood i forget his first name but blood is a hell of a (laughs) last name that's a good name um (laughs) about anesthesia and um so he started using nitrous oxide and was like would just write while he was doing it. And like, oh, wow. you know, when he, when he came to, he would be like, I don't know what this is. But like during that, he was like, oh, this lets me access this kind of religious feeling that other people seem to be able to do just through like worship or whatever, but that he couldn't for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. All this stuff. Consciousness is weird and interesting. And um, so I don't think it's weird that you are fascinated by this stuff because because I am too now is that when you're practicing do you do that thing where like um the other person like holds their arm up and then um like because that's a really easy way to tell when they go out do you know about that oh 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 yeah 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 um so typically honestly normally when you're training this stuff it doesn't happen that often like you typically, uh, especially, 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 like, in your first few years of training, like, will tap before it happens. Like, you'll kind of right. get a sense of, like, oh, I don't feel tell. great right now. Okay, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can really, really tell um, if it starts to happen. Or, honestly, like, there's a lot of pressure in this position. Like, it does hurt. Like, the yeah. actually going out does not hurt at all. Like, the actual physical, like, 
the, the passing out part doesn't hurt or feel bad at all, but the pressure on your neck, on your muscles, on the tops of your shoulders, on your head too, because like in a traditional triangle, the other person might be pulling your head down to just basically make it less of an angle. I guess the idea here, like biomechanically, is like there's like a little hole that your neck is in, and the smaller that hole is, the more compression there's going to be. So they kind of pull on it. So it, it does hurt and it does suck. So a lot of times you will tap to pain and pressure way before you're anywhere right. near going out. But yeah, that's definitely a thing to do <laughs> to kind of see if they're faking it. If like you think somebody might be faking being passed out. I do that to my patients all the time. I do not triangle choke my patients. I should probably, <laughs> I should probably make that really clear. I don't hurt my patients on my ambulance. That's a different realm of my life. That's not where I try to choke people. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely do that with patients to see like, are you all the way out? Are you sleepy? Like what's going on? We definitely do that all the time uh, to, to check on people a little bit. So <laughs> that's real. That's a real thing. That is definitely a real <laughs> thing. So yeah. It's kind of it's kind of cool. Like I also completely am fascinated by states of consciousness, like in general, and what they kind of mean and what people experience when they experience them. And I will say, I was always really afraid of the first time that it was going to happen that I like actually passed out from a choke. Like I was genuinely like a little apprehensive about it. Like the whole time I've been training, I've been like, "Oh man, that looks like it sucks." And I've had people tell me like, "It's actually not that bad," but I didn't you know, completely believe them until it happened to me. And I was just like, oh, that was okay. Like, I'm all right. Like, and I and I started rolling immediately after that. It was honestly kind of uh, uh, like the my training partner uh, that I was working with, he's like a, a really nice guy. And like, he's, he's, he's a pretty small dude, so we can go fairly hard with each other. Because a lot of times when there's a big size difference, like the bigger person should frankly be going a little bit lighter with the smaller person. Cause you know, it's just not nice if you have 50 pounds of muscle on somebody and you're beating them up. But yeah, he was like so surprised too. He's like, Oh really? And I was just like, yeah, I went out a little bit, but let's keep going. He's like, are you sure you don't need a break? I was like, no, I'm having a great time. So it was like, a very, <laughs> like a weirdly positive experience. Cause it was like, Oh, a thing I'm afraid of, but it wasn't so bad. So let's keep going. So yeah. Anyway, <laughs> East Coast Office Hours, where we talk about blood chokes. <laughs> blood choke. Blood choke. That is characterized as a blood choke, too, and not like a uh, Yeah, because it's not type a, of a blood choke, choke versus the... Yeah. Yeah. It's it's real. It's, it's very real. I love that I do a sport every day where we do blood chokes. It's a great time. <laughs> blood choke sounds like the name of a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Right. You know, I mean, what I if guess it actually is? What if <laughs> like, it's yeah, the sequel to Bloodsport, Blood Choke. <laughs> blood choke. I'm just seeing if it's like I need to see if it's a movie. Yeah, like some kind of cause There's a movie called Blood Choke Retribution. Oh good. It's a British <laughs> martial arts movie. Oh, that makes me so happy. It came out last year. Wait, is it? I can't tell. There's not much information about blood choke retribution. Yeah, I just uh, see an IMDb here. Oh, there's a there's a dude with a with a eye patch on the front and like <laughs> it has it an Instagram account, but it's private. Oh no! What what are you trying to? <laughs> 
We is this like a fight, a fight club movie where you have to know to watch it? Like you have to go to somebody's house like to I watch guess. the movie? When did this? Yeah, it came out last year. It was made for $10,000. Oh, my God. Well, we might have to watch Bloodshoke Retro. Wait, I am going to watch the trailer. There is the Eyepatch Man. Um, is this going to play? It's playing... When a ruthless criminal gang takes everything from him, a former special forces soldier seeks survival and retribution at any cost. This is not. Okay, this is not. Um... Oh, Lost Boys Films. Okay. Okay, well, there's that's a good sign, right? Okay, good so movie, a man is threatening sign. another man with a baseball bat. I can't tell, like, okay, I need to learn enough about movies to be able to know, like, what it is that makes the movie look cheap or bad. Because it's a combination, I think, of the film speed yep. and the camera usage and the... Um, it could also be the stock itself. It could be... The stock itself, the yeah. angles, and then also the acting. But, like... Oh, yeah. I... I need I need to learn like what makes acting bad because I can identify bad acting, but I I can't always say like what makes it yeah, bad. Yeah. And um. Oh That's wow! Right. Okay, this eye patch man is fighting a lot of gentlemen. Oh, is is the special forces soldier the eye patch man? I guess unclear. Okay. Wow. But uh, yeah, tune in for uh. An upcoming episode of You Love to See It on Bloodshed Retribution, because that's almost certainly going to happen. Oh, I'm so happy about this. Maybe they're trying to sell it to. Okay, so UFC Fight Pass, which is like where you you know watch archives of UFC fights and a lot of uh, submission grappling, has martial arts movies now, like just straight up like fictional, goofy like Kung Fu Chef and like stuff like that. I wonder if they're trying to, like, get a deal <laughs> with the UFC. Like, that would make me very happy. Oh, that anyway, yeah. Very funny. Yeah. That's extremely good. I guess we should probably uh, start to wrap things up uh, uh, and yeah. get ready to close We've office hours. Got business. some stuff to take care of this afternoon. Yeah. So, got to do some of, that, some of that other work. Yeah. Uh, so, Thank you all so much for listening. We hope you have learned something with us today. I've learned something today. And I, I always learn something on this podcast. It makes me very happy to learn. Uh, please do, if you if you have a moment, take a second there and uh, go ahead and rate and review our podcast. It really does help uh, quite a bit. We really do appreciate that. You can listen to all of our stuff at fanbyte.com slash podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Fanbyte Media. On Instagram at Fanbyte, where I try to put up most of our stuff. It doesn't all go up, but a lot of it does. And then, of course, on TikTok at Fanbyte, and of course, everything we do on Fanbyte.com. You can watch all of our extra, excellent, rather, streams, including today's raid and last time's raid, and also a very good video, Merit, that you did with LB uh, looking at pictures of wrestlers. That is one of my favorite oh my things. Oh, God. Like, that I've ever seen on the Fanbyte Twitch channel. I, I truly mean that. That was a, that was a gem. Yeah, we're going to have to do something like that again, because uh, yeah. that, was, that was a blast. It was, it, was, it was very good. It was very, very fun to watch. Um, I might put up another little video from that uh, today as well. Uh, and of course, thank you so much, Jordan Mallory, for producing this show and making us sound good. Uh, Merit, where can people find you online? I am at Merit K on Twitter. Awesome. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Danielle R.I. And I encourage you all 
uh, to uh, go ahead and go to Twitter and go to all of our wonderful things uh, and play baseball. Go Hades Tigers. With that, I shall say, office hours are closed for business. Bye. Bye.